0: Hey everyone, just letting you know that as of right now, I'm on vacation in Hawaii. Instead of delaying a new episode for another week, I decided to record and edit one way ahead of schedule, so that way it comes out on this day. Thankfully, my guest was kind enough to find the time to be on the podcast for this episode. When I come back, I've got a few guests planned to be on here before the end of the year. Until then, I hope you enjoy the episode. hello listeners welcome to the lone screenplay nominee podcast where we talk about films that were solely nominated for an oscar in the writing categories i'm your host matthew anderson and today we have juan carlos oyano who is a podcast host of the one inch barrier po- uh, podcast uh welcome to the show juan how are you today
1: hi matt thank you so much for having me i'm okay i'm fine nice <laughs> yeah i'm good i mean mm-hmm. i'm just coming off of watching this film and uh, it's been a long time since I saw this. So um, it's a good feeling to be able to reconnect to this film like this.
0: I I got to ask, too, because when I, I asked you uh, originally when I, I told you that I was going to create this podcast uh, and I asked if you would be able to join me down the road to do an episode, whatever it was to begin with, uh, I got to say it must be. You must you must have felt some kind of relief after hearing. Oh, thank God! Okay, I don't have to do non English language movies for just like I did for your 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 show.
1: Yes, I mean I love non English language films, but at some point <laughs> I've become typecast, and I'm not complaining. I mean, well, I've had a lot of great experiences in other podcasts uh, where, uh, oh, it's it's a film with subtitles. Uh, I'm the guest. Okay, I'll take it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I am a versatile person, <laughs> so I am glad to share my thoughts not only on films which other people expect me to be attuned with, and I cannot blame because I literally spent more than two years of my life championing, um, cinema in subtitles, but, um, we can talk about a lot of stuff, I'm a very multifaceted person, doesn't look like it, but, um, I'm excited to all talk about all kinds of films, and uh, this one is. I'm glad I. I'm glad I. We went to this one.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get around to another year in just a minute. Uh, before we dive into our episode, though, I have to get uh, get through with our questions for the show. Uh, for each guest, I asked uh, to come on for the show. I have to ask: Would you care to explain to our audience what exactly it is you do for a living, or what for anyone who? for some reason has no idea what your podcast is about. Would you care to explain what that is too?
1: Okay. So in terms of what I do for a living, I have no, also no idea what I do for a living. I do everything. Um, But um mm-hmm. by the day, I'm a content writer and in my own stuff, I, I have a podcast called the one inch barrier where we talk about uh the films that won best international feature film at the Academy Awards. But um uh, it's not just that it's, We also talk about the nominees. We also talk about the films that were submitted, not submitted. So it's basically world cinema per year through the lens of the Oscars. And then I also am a contributing writer to the Film Experience, um, a a website that I love so much. And I'm still in disbelief that after like three, four years that I'm a contributor there and I get to talk to these wonderful people in film. Um, But recently I've done an article on the Emmys. It's a very expansive article. I did like a personal ballot on what if TV movies, quote-unquote TV movies, have their own awards. So I watched 38 TV movies and did an, my own set of awards because in the Emmys, it's TV movies and limited series. And we know that we're in the age of TV. Yeah. At the Emmys, where everyone's just considered a limited series. So I just had, threw a hypothetical... What if TV movies had their own awards? And I just have, I just finished a few months ago, a documentary, an experimental documentary short called How to Rewind May 9. Um, We're waiting to see where it goes, but um, I'm excited because that's a passion project that you have seen. (laughs) So uh, yeah, those are the things that keep me busy.
0: Yeah. I wish you the best of luck with that. It was, uh, I got to say being on, and I'm not just saying this to kiss ass or anything, but I, I truly do mean it. Uh, when I say I was really grateful to be on for your two episodes for the salesman and war and peace, as I said on that episode for war and peace, and I'll say it again, now that I'm doing my own podcast here, it, it, it really does make me appreciate what, what you, you had to do for each episode for the one inch barrier, trying to find the movies and unlike you know, my show, you actually have to see all the nominated films and try to see as many films that were submitted for that said year, even if they weren't, you know, nominated or uh, were eligible for the, uh, the the category. So, yeah. So once again, Juan, I, I, I truly appreciate you being on here. And once again, I wish you the best of luck with uh, your project. Hopefully it goes well. Um, the other question I want to ask is it's always tough to ask someone what is their favorite film. So I might as well ask, what is your favorite genre?
1: Genre. You know, I I think about this and I actually probably have a not preferred film genre (laughs) as opposed to because I, I like films from all places and kinds, but I guess it takes me some convincing if it's an action film. Or if it's a superhero film, it takes some convincing before I get on board with that. Um, Horror, I'm fine, but not too gory. Uh, uh, What else? Yeah, I think I'm pretty good with various kinds of films. Uh, Having a female lead helps a lot in convincing me. (laughs) That's not a genre, but having a female lead... Helps a lot in convincing me that you should watch this. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I I don't have a particular choice. I mean, uh, yeah, as proven by my more recent watches, um, <laughs> I really don't have a clear preference at this point. Um, yeah, does that answer my your question? <laughs>
0: No, yeah, no, it, it pretty much did. I mean, if anything, it just shows that you're willing, you're you're very open to genres, uh, except for uh, it takes a little bit more convincing to do like your action or yeah. even comic books, you know, comic book and superhero stuff. And to be honest, I, I said this before on a, on a an episode uh, prior in the past. Uh, I'm I'm admittedly getting a little bit sick and tired of the whole superhero fanatic um i mean just the idea of having a a big budget superhero movie come out like every month is it's a bit it's a bit much um especially when they're not even on the quality of something that's doing something different or unique uh like a joker let's say or you know black panther to a certain degree or logan you know but yeah uh yeah no that like like you said you answered my question pretty well and uh um yeah yeah. uh, so yeah so i guess i just want to add
1: um Big budget films don't excite me. Okay. I mean, I oh. mean, I just see, I just, I just, just love my experience of watching Barbie and Oppenheimer. But those films had something to say and had auteurs behind yeah. them. But aside from that, I'm really more inclined to watch the smaller. And I mean, indie is not a genre, but I I just find mm-hmm. more flavor in the stories in the smaller scale stories than the big budget films sorry for cutting you off
0: no no yeah no there's a there's a bit more of a personal touch to yeah there's a bit more of a a personal touch to the uh the film than if you were to have like a you know if you were to give like mike lee a a a hundred million dollar budget movie and now it's like you know he's got a small scale film but speaking of which i guess we might as well uh transition into our film uh so today we're going to be here to discuss another year, which was released in 2010. This won't be a beat by beat bulletin presentation like you hear on other channels, but we will be we will be discussing major spoilers for our, our episode. If you haven't seen the episode yet and want to hear our full thoughts on it, we'd suggest that you watch the film first and then come back to hear us talk about it. Um, so with that said, uh, I'm just going to get through my notes on this, uh, Mike Lee embarked on this film without uh, his recurring collaborator, Simon Channing Williams, who was a producer on several of his films, including Secrets and Lies and Vera Drake, and uh, had passed away on April 11th, 2009. Instead, this film was produced by uh, Georgina Lowe, who uh, who had worked regularly with Mike Lee since Naked in 1993. Production company Finn Thin Man Films led the film with Film Four and Focus Features International, and its production budget was around eight million dollars or so. Uh, like Mike Lee's previous efforts, and I did not know about this next part. Uh, he spent time; he spent a lot of time rehearsing with his cast extensively, and the results of their improvisations were the basis for his scripts, or and for this uh, film in particular. Um, and filming only lasted about twelve weeks. And one way of stimulating the because the film is progressing through four seasons throughout the film. uh, Cinematographer Dick Pope had to use four different film stocks for each section. So they look different from each other Um, enough. You know, they were able to stand out from each other enough. Um, Another year did compete at the 63rd Cannes Film Festival. uh, And while it didn't win any of the major prizes, it did uh, build up terrific word of mouth. And later showed up at the Telluride Film Festival, Toronto International Film Festival, New York Film Festival, and there were a couple other film festivals it went to, I believe. But regardless, it's, it ended up doing a limited run on December 29th, 2010, and made roughly between 18 to $20 million worldwide, which is not too bad. Uh, and despite the, getting a, an Oscar nomination for original screenplay for Mike Lee, the film scored a critics choice nomination for the original screenplay category, and also gained two BAFTA nominations for Leslie Manville in supporting actress and uh, best British film. Uh, as for the, what the log line is it's simple. Uh, it's a look at four seasons in the, in the lives of a happily married couple and the relationships with their family and friends. So that's pretty much the basis of what the movie is. Um, you know, in terms of like what the film is about. So, before I give my thoughts, I want to hear what, uh, your thoughts on the movie. You already stated before that uh, it, been, it had been so long since you'd last seen this. So, I'd assume this is your second, at least your second or third watch. And out of curiosity, have you seen any, any of Mike Lee's other films?
1: I have seen most recently. Secrets and Lies and Vera Drake. Uh, Both films blew my mind. Um, I have seen Mr. Turner. I think I've seen something else. (laughs) I forgot. I mean, I I forgot the filmography. It's not a very...
0: Topsy-turvy? No,
1: I haven't seen Topsy-turvy yet. Turvy? What am I having a British accent? But um, in terms of the Mike Lee films, Mr. Turner, Another Year... Uh, Vera Drake, uh, Secrets and Lies, those are the films that come to my mind. I regrettably haven't seen Happy Go Lucky yet, even though that's very highly recommended. Um, Pete, okay. Peter Lou is something that he'd done recently, and I think it's available on Prime Video, but again, I haven't seen that yet. Um, yeah, I think four Mike Lees so far. I apologize to Mike Lee if I've seen more and I don't remember.
0: Um, but yeah, so I, I want, so like I said, I want to uh, hear your, your thoughts on the movie and uh, why you chose this film in particular to cover on the episode.
1: Okay, so I chose another year because I want something that I have already seen before. I have learned in doing my own podcast that uh, first impressions aren't always everything. There are a lot of films that I've seen for my podcast for the first mm-hmm. time that I wish I could rewatch, um, especially if we're going to have a conversation about it. Because I'm working on a first impression basis. First impressions basis. So I wanted something Mm. that I've seen before. And I wanted something that I have seen for quite a while now. That I am a different person now. That I'm going to rewatch it. And I've seen another year, 2011, 2012. I don't know a thing about depression. Mm. I don't know a thing about being the, the, un, you know, the, quote, unquote, the, you know, the quote, the annoying friend. <laughs> I don't know a thing about that yet. Um, so I think I approached another year with some recognition that life has passed. I have grown older. I have experienced depression. I have um, had more complex and complicated relationships now that I think I could bring that to my film going experience of watching another year, because that's what I believe is the composition of a film reception. It's not just the film, it's my response to the film. What I'm bringing to the film, that's my response. That's the A minus, that's the B plus, that's the C, that's the F. It's my relationship with the film. So I am excited to watch something that I feel, that I know where it's gonna go, but I know I'm different now than mm-hmm. when I've seen it before, and um, I'm glad that I did because I think another year is such a rich, an emotionally rich film, filled with wonderful performances, a very sensitive direction by Mike Lee, very, uh, deceptively simple. Complex writing, editing that is so specific. That rhythm is beautiful. It's a very beautiful, humanistic film, that is um quite low key actually. Uh, it doesn't operate on an operatic level the same way that Secrets and Lies and probably Vera Drake does. It is very matter of fact, but it has this very specific voice and register that is very distinctively Mike Lee. And I. it's such a rich film. And um, I'm already looking forward to, and again, another 10 years in my life, where I probably I've had more uh, valleys to deal with in my life. And I would bring myself into watching another year again, because I think that's the kind of film where you really have to bring hmm. your life experience when you watch that film. It's so rich. It's so... Nuanced, it's so beautiful. and um yeah, it it it's a film that I, I wish I could make. <laughs> you know that sensitive, perceptive, touching observation and human relationships. It's very beautiful, very beautiful work. How about you? What did you think about it?
0: I thought the uh, this is my first Mike Lee film I've ever seen. Um, I haven't seen much of his other films before um i'd heard a lot about them you know secrets and lies and uh vera drake uh and i'm pretty sure vera drake was uh at least you know to my knowledge it was uh you know it's kind of a surprise that it made it into director that year even though it didn't even make an in for picture which is like okay um but i guess it just show, just showed how much the academy really likes mike lee as a whole um although recently not so much um with his last couple films he didn't make it in for anything yeah, I, I thought I, I, respected the film a lot and bear, and I want to make a note to my audience for, I was, I, I didn't manage to fin Usually when I watch these movies for a podcast, I would usually watch them in one go. And, and I, 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 I would do my typical note-taking. I wasn't able to finish it the first, uh my first day, just because I wasn't, um I, I had like a, a, a couple of personal things going on in my life. I had to take care of. Um, and then the next day I just was not i uh, feel was not really feeling up to uh, uh do the podcast because i wasn't doing too well uh, didn't get much sleep and so we had the delay it. but over the course of the next two days especially this morning I managed to finish the the rest of the film and um usually i would be a po- i would be kind of a, like okay I want to try to finish it all in one go but i i will say for this film it's very fitting that it's spread into chunks you know like they're all kind of like their own short story so to speak i mean they unlike something like ballad of buster scruggs they actually all connect together um these sections of their you know the life going on within um uh tom and jerry which i find it very funny i didn't even realize until the end it's like huh tom and jerry okay uh-huh. okay um so so yeah i i, I There's a lot here that I could admire and appreciate. And I respect what Mike Lee is doing. Even if it wasn't like... If I didn't love it as much as you did. Mm -hmm. But regardless of that, I still enjoyed it as a whole. um, Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I will say, though, that... um, I hope that maybe one day you could get back... uh, Return to this film. Because uh, while it is segmented into four parts... I think there is an Mm -hmm. accumulation there's a power in watching it in one go that I realized Mm. um, when I was watching it. Because for me, for example, I didn't realize it was already one hour in when it was one hour in. Because I was just, Mm -hmm. I was so, so into the rhythm of the characters bouncing off one another. And, you know, Mike Lee's rhythm reminded me of uh, Greta Gerwig's rhythm Not they're not similar but in terms of how specific it is on how they finish each other's sentences and how that really mm-hmm. unveils a lot about the status of their relationships for example in the opening sequence the I think uh, I think it's a social worker talking to a very depressed woman played by Imelda Staunton yes. that rhythm is yes. so precise and there's a, there a mini-arc in that character that is so beautifully portrayed by the Staunton. And that kind of segues us into Jerry's relationship with Mary. With Mary's relationship with Jerry and Mary's relationship with her family, Jerry, Tom, and uh, Joe. Joe. Um, the way they finish each other's sentences or the way they either the response is so close to the final word or how that that means so much because once you reach the winter part where there's more space, there's more silence, you realize the status of how relationships have changed. And I think that is where the accumulative impact of yeah. Mike Lee's work in this film is that that's there's a reason why it is in four movements. And that's why there's this one film because... You'd sit there and observe until you realize, oh, things are changing. Um, but it is so nuanced and small and really props to the actors as well and the direction and the editing for capturing the small changes in relationships that mean the world because of how small or how highlighted they were. And you get it from watching it in one go. So, yeah. Um that was my experience of getting at this point I,
0: I definitely agree with you in that Mike Lee and the actors they all did a really good job conveying their characters uh especially with the relationships with the, within each other not just Tom and Jerry but also just how like from the beginning like y- you're right like that whole winter sequence when uh who was it the the uh was it the the Mary character um mm-hmm uh the Leslie Manville's character she was very like she realized like yeah she kind of uh she messed up their their friendship because the last time she was over there she kind of um ridiculed and made fun of uh Joe's girlfriend yeah and I thought that was that was something that I was like okay yeah it, it and it wasn't just like they weren't like stating like the obvious in the dialogue it felt very much like, They've been, they sort of been at it for a while. And, you know, at least they've been very much like Jerry and and Leslie's uh, character. I've been very much, ar- you know, arguing with each other. Um, or at least it kind of came across that a little bit. And I like that, th- you know, Mike Lee doesn't spoon feed or sugarcoat the whole thing and, you know, make it all uh, happy uh, Dory. Um, because even with the whole uh, Ronnie, I think it was, uh, the one who had lost yep. uh, his wife at the end of the film. Um, he doesn't really have a great relationship with his son, you know, and he only shows up, uh, only when he wants to. And, you know, as soon as he leaves, you say like, I'm going to go grab a bottle of wine and he's gone like for the rest of the movie. Like he only shows up for like two scenes and that's it. And, and I, and again, I like that I like that. Mike Lee kind of made us question, you know, made these questions of like, okay, like a lot of things, you know, it's not a, like a, a, uh, a wrapped up uh, uh, you know f- fairy tale or whatever where it's just like let's give them a happy ending for everyone because that's not how life is sometimes and um, and I find it very funny we'll, we'll get into the funeral maybe a bit later on in the show um, I find it very odd and a bit ironic I'm not sure if you've ever seen Mike Lee doing the roundtable uh, discussion he did about 10 years ago when he was on with Christopher Nolan, I, I have uh, uh, Morton Tilden and Angelina Jolie. Okay. Uh, did you, do you remember when he said uh, what Mike Lee said in terms of what was, uh, his basis for becoming a filmmaker? No,
1: <laughs> I, I think I remember, hey, what, I think I, I don't know what it said, but I remember him saying something about it
0: because it, he, I think he said in the inner, in the round table, if I'm not mistaken, he had stated that it was when he went to a funeral, I think for his, uh, one of his relatives that he you know he you know saw the image of uh the the pallbearers bringing down the casket down the the steps and uh he realized like he wanted to become a filmmaker right there Mm -hmm. he was like i found i found my idea i want i know what i want to be and i find it very ironic that he he added that for the movie for this movie and i'm like huh that's kind of like a you know uh um uh, what's the term you're looking for? Um, You know, a, a, a slice of life, you know, taking a slice of your own life and putting it into film and so on. And that was interesting. Um, I, I but yeah, going back to the performances though, I thought everyone did a pretty good job. Uh, I was very impressed with Leslie Manville the most, even though she was a very, she played the you know, a very annoying character and made, it made it a bit uncomfortable at times just because it reminded me of some people who I've come across in my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and but she did a very very good job, and I'm I'm quite surprised she didn't get much awards tension uh, out of like a BAFTA nomination, some critics uh, prizes. But are we gonna talk about um, it now or later? Well, we'll talk about it later. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it later. <laughs> but 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 overall, I thought Leslie Manville did a, a a very good job. She was probably the best of the ensemble. And I've only, I have think I've only seen her in this and Phantom Thread, which she's fantastic yeah. in. Yeah, no, go ahead.
1: No, I, I, I would concur. I love Leslie Manville in this film. Then and now. Mm-hmm. I loved her then because I thought she just stands out. But at this point, I love her more because of the risk that she took. The places where that script made her go to. Um, like like we've talked about in how, how Mike Lee and seeing the pallbearers in the funeral, I think it makes a full circle, not only with the symbolism, symbolism but the imagery, but on what kind of films that he makes. He's a very observant filmmaker. He's interested in human behavior. He's interested in the small things. Mm. He is inspired not by um, the usual things that we... Is- we connect with cinema, the big ones. No, he is inspired by small events that make us human. And that circles back to another year, which is a very small film. Even in the canon of Mike Lee films, it is pretty small. Um, You don't have the big drama of Secrets and Lies. You don't have the period setting of Vera Drake. You don't have the, again, another period setting of Mr. Turner. This one is contemporary low key and the presence of Leslie Manville's character presents a calculated risk of throwing the rhythm off but Leslie Manville fits Mm -hmm. her character so well into the synchronicity of the whole film and makes her um, sticking out a part of the emotional journey of the character. This is a character that sticks out but wants to fit in. Why? Why is she being annoying? She wants to be with other people. She wants to be in company with other people. Why? Because it makes her sad. She wants connection so much. And um, the beauty of her arc is realized in the four movements of the seasons. And how one doesn't really realize the impact of her character until you reach winter. Because it, at spring, summer, mm-hmm. it could be like, oh, she's that friend that probably talks too much, mm-hmm. says too much, doesn't uh, anyone speak, and makes everything all about her. Intentionally or unintentionally. And then you see uh, Autumn where she's not only threatened by uh, Katie in terms of her... Unst- unsaid affinity with Joe, but her being the center of attention. And in the end, she's not just seeking attention. She's seeking care. She's seeking love. That's why Jerry said, I want you to also help yourself. I want you to also seek professional help. Um, And it's a beautiful arc. And I have now realized how generous Leslie Mandel is because that performance could have gone so wrong in so many ways. But she took the risk. Yeah. And with that risk comes a performance that is so frighteningly familiar to me. That character is frighteningly familiar. I have been that friend who probably sticks my way into a relationship just a bit too much (laughs) or suddenly needs to pop inside a friend's place because I'm too depressed and having a breakdown. Or worrying if am I I overstaying my welcome or not. But I am valid, right? You know, that kind of Mm -hmm. consciousness or unconsciousness with how other people perceive me, because for the longest time, Mary slash (laughs) me, have seen themselves as the center of the of everyone. That's why even in the rhythm of the film, even in the structure of the film, she doesn't feel like a lead until she's in the story. Because when she's in the story, yeah. the film that just focuses on her. But when she's out, she's yeah. out. Um, it's it's yeah. a beautiful decision in terms of structure and characterization that remains so true to Mary's character and to everyone involved. I mean, it's so easy to, to undervalue Ruth Sheen and Jim Broadbent, but those are also beautiful performances that went together with Leslie Manville's more high-wire work. It's a very beautiful dynamic that they have found in Aronson. ensemble.
0: Yeah. The, uh, you know, yeah, you're right though. in that it's very much, it's one of those cases that when Mike Lee and the cast, when they created this movie, it's very much the line of like, you know, when is the, you know, the, the top, when, when it's the, the, the large stack of plates going to fall, you know, when, when is that moment going to happen? You know, and it's very much like intentionally creating that kind of, um kind of tension it's very low stakes tension but still it's uh it's you got to create some kind of drama dramatic conflict within your characters otherwise it's a very uninteresting and kind of boring movie yeah no mike i never really thought about it that way actually because you know and, and you know you're right though if nothing else it, it definitely made me appreciate leslie manville more as an actress because like i said i haven't seen a whole lot from her mm-hmm. i never saw mrs harris goes to paris um which i didn't even know that film even existed until like uh. that summer like right before it came out i'm like this movie existed like it's it's coming out what no one told me about it whatsoever so um Oscar nominee yeah but I, I i think design. i might watch uh, Mrs. Harris yeah osc costume design by Jenny Bevan um which i hear the costumes in that they're are fantastic so i will i'll get around to that film maybe down the road we'll see and i'll i'll report back to you with my takes on that but anyways but you're right though. Like all the other uh, ensembles, though, everyone else in the film, I thought did a good job. Jim Robbins good, um, and who was it? The Ronnie, who was played by Mister Filch, I believe, from the Harry Potter movies. Uh, he was good too. Uh, I haven't seen him outside of a acting role for a movies. Actually, yeah, outside of Harry Potter. Um, I'm just looking through the cast here on my phone real quick. Uh, Ruth Sheen, who played Jerry, she did a good job. In her role and even as you said like emil emilda staunton only in like a very small role and she does a good job with what she's given um and you know and i'm i i find it i'll have to look back and see how many films emilda staunton was in because i know she was in uh another year and she was also she got nominated for vera drake um yeah i don't recall if she was in anything else Shakespeare in Love Love films. But I, no, no, she's sorry. a very good. She's another like really good actress, and another one from the Harry Potter universe, uh, along with and Shakespeare in Love. That's right. Was it was it Shakespeare in Love?
1: Yeah, she was the she was the I think the uh, lady in waiting for Gwyneth
0: Paltrow. I think it was okay. Oh, okay, gotcha. But yeah, I'm I'm looking through. Uh, is there anything you would like to bring up specifically in regards to? Uh, the film itself that you enjoy? Because it, it clearly shows that you enjoyed it a lot more than I did.
1: Oh, Matt. Oh, I mean, when I, when I selected Another Year, I was waiting like, what is Matt's reaction going to be? Because it's not plot-centric. It is very character-centric. And um, it, you need to be in the zone to get to um, appreciate it. And, and don't worry. There is a lifetime to rewatch films (laughs) Um, I I don't know I've become very appreciative of Mike Lee's direction Um, especially when you see it in the winter on how he pushes Mary's character and how high wire that performance is and how she relates to the other characters it's so it looks simple but yet it's not. It's not. I would, I would, uh, beg to differ. That it's not. And I, I also would have to disagree. I don't think it's low stakes. I think he amplifies so much of, um, these small moments that are big, really, because they could mean the continuation or the end of a friendship. That is a lifeline for this character. I uh, just remember when in the winter sequence, for example, when um, Jerry and Tom sees mm-hmm. that Mary's in and Ronnie let her in, there is a little bit of ambivalence. And this is not the usual where Tom and Jerry would um, be immediately addressing Mary's needs. They're passing by Mary. And sometimes Mary's the only person within the frame. It's it's being lost turned into cinema in such a small moment. It, it amplifies so much human emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are the things that I've only noticed now because I've, I've gotten 12, 13 years of my life, of life experience that I brought into watching this film. I've been in those situations where like, am I wanted or not? I, I, did I do something wrong or not? And to see it be turned into cinema, it's very powerful stuff, and mm-hmm. it makes it kind of dabbles on mental health without it turning into a big topic per se, but it really shows, and the film has a sensitivity in tackling it. Maybe it is about mental health, but it is so a matter of fact about it. It's very beautifully done that by Mike Lee. It's so um... It shows how much he cares to his characters. That even the smallest characters like Ronnie or Imelda Staunton. I don't even know her name in the film. They have full lives. And they connect or clash with one another. I think it's a very rich work. With a very simple score from Gary Urshel, who was a few years, la- few years later is nominated for Mister Turner, one of the biggest surprises ever in the technical categories because that did not come out of that came out of nowhere. Kamaska nominations, um, mm-hmm. yeah. It, this is a film where I I understand people could an award season had taken it for granted, but I wish people would look back into it. Especially Oscar fans that are watching, listening to this podcast, for example, looking for those gems that were only nominated for a screenplay award, and go find that in this lineup that you have, there's so many great stuff that for some reason the Academy just, you know, <laughs> um, uh, mm-hmm. gave it a single nomination. There's so many gems, and another year is another one of
0: them. Yeah. Like I said, I, I didn't hate the movie. I was very much of the opinion of, I, I appreciate the film and I will say it, it did win me over a bit by the end, uh, within that, that, uh, winter section, not just because of the interactions of, you know, uh, the Leslie Manville's character going through an arc, but also even some of the funeral stuff. I actually quite liked, a, a bit, even though it's like a very small part of that section. Yeah. Um, i you know the idea even with the whole you had stated earlier in the podcast that the way you have to go into this movie you kind of have to watch it based on what you're you've been through within your own life yeah. and with the whole funeral scene um you know like even with the whole paul you know taking the coffin to the into the church it reminded me a lot of uh, uh the time when i was paul bearing for high school at uh uh, at my local high school and we'd been through a lot of, of Paul bearing uh, uh, events and there were even a couple of them where the, the person who passed away has nobody in terms of like, you know, family or friends showing up because they're either at nursing homes or they're long gone. And we were the only representation of any kind of uh, uh you know, people there to see the, the dead and you know, and it's it's sad, you know. It's sad at times, but um, so I thought that was interesting in the way that Mike Lee captured that that feeling so well. And uh, and I, I one thing I I did like in terms of directing for that uh, section of the winter uh, section was I liked how there's a couple of wide shots within their their small enclosed rooms when uh, Ronnie and everyone else they're sitting around with chairs and uh, Ronnie's son uh, comes barging in and starts questioning uh, uh, Tom uh, and so they start they both start getting into a, a bit of a uh, an argument and there's a, a wide shot. I'm not sure if you ever noticed this, but there's a wide shot of you know uh, it was Ronnie's kid in the the threshold like in between you know the kitchen and mm-hmm. the living room and on the right hand side there's a mirror and it's reflecting uh, Tom's you know face off of it. And I'm like, that's that's something I didn't I didn't realize until, uh, you know, that wide shot, because I was thinking geographically, where is everyone in the room? Not that I was having a hard time to begin with, but I was wondering, I I did think to myself, like, how like how is Mike Lee framing a scene like this, you know, that would stand out within a movie like this? And isn't just your standard, you know, uh, argumentative dialogue, you know, group dialogues section. And he framed it in a really interesting way, at least with, with uh, that shot in particular. And there was another one too, when they're all, when um, uh, Ronnie decides that he wants to stay with the family for a day or two and the son just comes down the stairs and it's all done in one take. Mm -hmm. And we, and you know, we hear the son off in the distance off camera, you know, you know, arguing with them and such. And I thought, Oh wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. And it's all done in one take, I'm pretty sure. And, um, and it showed that they put a lot of effort and planning into the blocking of it. And it wasn't just, eh, fuck it. We'll figure it out in the uh, the editing room. You know, whatever. we'll Just come up with a bunch of singles. Uh, get a group shot. Okay, get a wide shot. All right, we're good. You yeah. know.
1: Yeah, when you have an observant filmmaker like Mike Lee, so. he knows how to frame a scene. Even it looks simple, but it says it amplifies what needs to be focused on. So there you go.
0: And it reminded me a lot too of, even with Mike Lee, like, cause I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he, he probably did have a hand in directing some of his own plays or directing other plays. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure he is. And if that's the case, that would actually explain a lot as to why he, he does shots like that. He's, at, and it's a lot better. I was told when I did theater in high school, it was, you know, I was, you know, told by my professor or my teacher, I should say that, uh, um, you know, to, to try, to, or someone had recommended to me, maybe it was a relative, I can't remember, but they said to take theater uh, as a, uh, as, uh, as one of my courses in high school, because, and even to try to carry that on through community college, because when you learn how to block your actors and you, you, cause theater, you learn a lot more about the blocking and you obviously learn about performances and such, even though it's very loud to the audience, you know, cause you're, trying to get the whole audience with your performance with film. You're not really given a whole lot. Even in when I went to Stevenson, we weren't given a whole lot of courses on how to block Mm -hmm. certain actors. We were very much told the technical details. We were given one course of directing, but that was about it. And I already knew, you know, I already, I was already told ahead of time about the blocking maneuvers and how to, you know, block my characters, you know, within a frame or within an audience's point of view. Um, but, but, but it really showed that with Mike Lee's, you know, even if he did have like whatever theater experience he had, whether it was very little or a lot of it, it definitely did show in the movie for sure. Um, cause like I said, an average director wouldn't know how to do blocking properly or do something like that, um, in general. Uh, and, uh, I'm just looking through the rest of my notes to see if there's anything else I wanted to bring up, uh, looking through the one thing i also want to say was during the opening credits uh i guess nina gold who was a casting director uh or casting agent i don't know what you you would call them um but i guess nina gold's career uh skyrocketed after this because she did a she did a lot of stuff uh after this um i'm trying to think what it was on the top of my head uh she worked on the crown she worked on uh the martian so War the the last couple of star wars films uh force awakens and last jedi in particular and like i said it showed to her talents too that she managed to, to pick out a pretty good cast alongside um uh, mike lee because every as i mentioned in my episode for margin call uh i did everyone in your cast is crucial to the movie yep. even if they don't have if, even if they have like one line in the whole movie or if they don't have a speaking part, they're just as crucial to the whole film. Because if one of them fails, you know, your audience may be taken out of it, or you may not have as great of an ensemble as you wanted. um, All because of that one uh, casting decision that you make in your film. Um, But yeah, but no, like I said, um, you know, we're, we're probably going to be wrapping up pretty soon unless there's any other uh, general thoughts you had about, another year, uh, I'll, I'll give you the floor.
1: Uh, nothing. <laughs> uh, but I will say that in terms of casting, yes, it is true. Um, a lot of these actors are Martin, Martin Sheen, <laughs> Mike Lee regulars, but it's also <laughs> not only crowding it with actors, but m- uh, matchmaking them with the correct characters. I mean, imagine if Imelda Staunton played Jerry and Ruth Sheen was the patient. It's a different story already. It's just mm-hmm. a, a, a different texture. Yeah. What if... Uh, uh, What's the name? What if uh, Peter White, who played Ken, played Tom, and Jim Broadbent was the nagging single guy that was flirting with Leslie Manville? What if Leslie Manville was played with Imelda mm-hmm. Staunton? So even the casting here is crucial in forging the story forward with the richness and complexity that everyone had. I mean, everyone felt that they were in the exact right role that they were supposed to be in, and you know, it makes sense. I this is news to me, but it makes sense that Ripley yeah. is is from theater. Um, I just this year I just started watching a lot of theater. I mean, I just watched my twelve production last Sunday, uh, as at the time of recording. I am so in love with theater right now. But, yeah, I think those Mm. are the things that kind of get lost in film school. I mean, I'm not referring to just yours, but even in mine, I think a lot of people's experience with film school is so technical, Um, kind of forgetting that film in some ways uh, has strong ties with theater. I mean, the first films are very tableau-like because they were capturing how theater was blocked. And of course, film morphed into something of its own art, but at the same time, there's some there are some things lost in now when everyone's reliant on, well, we'll we'll will solve it in post. <laughs> uh, the sense, the the art of filming of framing, yeah. shot composition, blocking. Um, I think a lot of especially young filmmakers are starting to be. Um, not cognizant with that and it's, there's a lot of missed opportunities I mean there's a lot of films that are good but they, they lack the touch of like but where is the layer where are the layers and sometimes you just have to have a, a blocking that enriches the story doesn't have to scream everything to you but through the power of the image says so much about the multiple layers of story in the story I mean um yeah so very wonderful mm-hmm. work Mr. Lee congratulations
0: yeah definitely big congrats even if I'm not you know in love with it as you are I definitely can appreciate what he's doing and uh and I'm definitely curious in seeing more of his films because I I've I, I definitely want to at least try to watch uh, uh Vera Drake and uh what's the other film he did Secrets, uh, and, Secrets Lies. and Lies um yeah, because I you know, Secrets and the Lies got a best picture nomination. It got director, and I could be mistaken, but I think uh who was the lead in that film, Secrets and Lies? Uh Brenda Bluffin. Uh Brenda Bluffin. J- thank you. Jesus. Okay, I was about to muck the name up. Brenda Bluffin, I think she was pretty close to winning the Oscar that year, if I'm not mistaken, if it weren't for Francis McDormand. Yeah. Um,
1: Secrets and Lies is definitely like the in another year nominee (laughs) because that year was about the English patient versus Fargo and secrets and lies is freaking phenomenal as phenomenal as those two films.
0: Yeah. And I think also too, I think even Billy Crystal said like the only major studio film to get nominated for best picture was Jerry Maguire that year. Yeah. Um, everything else was, yeah, the year of the Indies, uh, or yeah, for best picture that is, um, but yeah, no, like I said, I, I respect and I, I appreciated another year. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. And like I said, uh, uh, nice. N- yeah, it's a decent way to get introduced to Mike Lee. That's for certain. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so we're going to. Uh, so if you don't mind, I would like to uh, transition us a little bit into the awards, you know, prospects or, you know, uh, analysts, so to speak. Um, I'm curious and wondering, uh, if this was worthy of its sole nomination and, you know, whether it is or it isn't, would you have nominated it for anything else, uh, the year of another year?
1: First of all, heck yeah. (laughs) And it deserves, it it deserved more. Um, you know, uh, I was, that was the second year when I've become very observant of award season. Um, I remember another year. Was kind of like primed to be a top five best picture contender until it slowly fell off. Oh wow! That was also um, uh, brought by Sony Pictures Classics. um, Even though it was released December twenty nine, so a bit too late. But you know the thing with Sony Pictures Classics that sometimes the too late works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, It depends on the kind Mm -hmm. of film.
0: Look at the father
1: yeah the father and depends and also depends on the campaign strategy um i guess it would it just trickled down to um that was a tight year 2010 was a tight year um i'm pretty sure it's close to picture i i'm 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 just i just i think it's in the 11 12 13 14 15 i don't I, i think it's in that runner around position the same way with uh, the, the town. <laughs> I think it's up there. Uh, per-
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I was also going to say too, uh, in the original screenplay category, it was up against, uh, the fighter inception kids. All right. And the King's speech, all of them best picture nominees. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the only best picture nominee that year in a year of 10, which is very bizarre. um, Black Swan's the only one that didn't get a screenplay nomination to begin with, even though it got yeah. BAFTA, Writers Guild, and I think it got a Critics' Choice nomination for original screenplay. Um, yeah, that was a season yeah, that's where very odd. I think
1: people were predicting Black Swan to overperform. And it did alright. I mean, it did yeah. beyond... Beyond... Because it, was, it, it it's, it's not the Academy's wheelhouse, especially early Academy's wheelhouse. But it went as far as, uh, I think, is it five nominations? I think it's five nominations. Um, but people were expecting it more. Yeah, in, five nominations. Yeah.
0: Picture, director, lead actress.
1: Cinematography, editing. Yeah. I, and
0: then cinematography and editing, yeah. that's all. People
1: were predicting it more in like, sound editing, sound mixing. Um, Mila Kunis in supporting actress. Um, so there were like those considerations as well.
0: I would have voted for Barbara Hershey.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was... Early in the season, it was Barbara Hershey. Until for some reason, uh, I think Globe Sag went with Mila Kunis, and that became like the, like the thing. Um, I would also say Best Actress Leslie Manville was early yeah. um, a contender, but bigger names, splash, slash, slash, legitimate category confusion probably cost her that, because okay. you see she won. She won Best Actress at National Board of Review, but Supporting Actress in San Diego. Nominated for, nominated for Supporting Actress at BAFTA, but Lead Actress in British Inter- Independent okay. BIFA. So I think there's also a legitimate category confusion. Um, and 2010 is such a tight year. You have Natalie Portman mm. in Black Swan. You have Anna Benning and The Kids Are All Right. You have um, Breakthrough Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone. You have um, Nicole Kidman, in, at the time, considered her one of her best works in Rabbit Hole, which is also a passion project because she also produced it. And then you have the controversial but acclaimed hmm. Blue Valentine with Michelle Williams. Um, yeah. And then... Around uh around the around that five, you have something like a Hillary Swank in Conviction, which was nominated for SAG. You have the another case of category confusion, which was fraud, by the way, by Haley Steinfeld, which we ended up in supporting. But Leslie Manville, yeah. I think, was just not enough of a big name at the time, and for a low-key film like Another Year, I think a film like Another Year is not built and with the um. Luckily so we're lucky that it was not built for awards. It's a very small low-key film and award season rewards yeah. big drama, catharsis, big stories, emotional payoffs. That's not another year. Another year is a slow-burning yeah. um cathartic ride and I think that's the reason why uh it ended up kind of falling short but if i would say if 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 it maxed out it's picture actress screenplay that's it three nominations
0: yeah i i I definitely would have given leslie manville an acting nod whether she was categorized in actress or supporting actress um i would have been okay with either just be like just to get her a nomination because she did a very good job in the film um screenplay i'm okay with because it's you know Sure, why not? Um, it's it's a good it's a, a good script. Even though I've been hearing, like I said, in, even in my pr- you know production notes, I discovered that Mike Lee doesn't technically write his scripts. They he sort of you know he does write a basis of a script and let's you know works with his actors to improvise and you know do various rehearsals to get that going. But it's I find that very interesting um, that he did that. So I'll, I'll have to see. Um, how I feel about that, you know, style that Mike Lee employs with his other films. Um, because you can't really judge a book by its cover until you open it and start reading it. Um, but you're right though, in terms of picture though, like it's you know, it was such a big year for you know bigger stories. Even something like Social Network, 127 Hours, The Fighter, Inception, those were all like bigger stories in and themselves, not just in Uh, you know what the subject mirror the material was about, but even the way they're told, and yeah, it does make me wonder. Yeah, it just makes me think another year really didn't have a really good shot at winning picture with a lineup like that. Although, I have to say, I haven't seen the kids are all right yet, even though I think the weakest of that lineup, in my opinion, is Winter's Bone, which I still think is good. Um, I really like this lineup a lot for best picture. Mm-hmm. It's just or really like it, it, it's, it's one of the, the the reasons why, and I understand there's a lot of people out there who are not a fan of the whole, you know, why are we expanding it more to, you know, more than five movies? Cause you're kind of taking away that preservation of uh, Academy award nominated stuff. And this is a really good example as to why you should open it up to 10 because you're diversifying, not just, you're, you're showing a lot more range in your films. Like you have, you know, an action movie, you have a, a, even toy story three managed to make it in, which so far is the last animated film to make it in for best picture. And you have all the, you know, you, uh, you do have your typical Oscar bait bullshit movies, like the King's speech and you got social network, you know, and they're, and they're very good movies too, I must say. But on top of that, it's just something that I, I want to see the Academy do more And the last few years, we have been getting that. Uh, I mean, look at last year's best picture lineup, where it was a pretty diverse set of you know nominated films. You had Top Gun: Maverick, you had All Quiet on the Western Front. You had Tar, Fablemans, Banshees, even something like Everything Ever Old won. Winning Best Picture, Women Talking is another one. Thank you very much, Juan, for correcting me. Uh, that with a very deserved adapted screenplay win. By the I way, I will never let um, anyone so it's it's
1: <laughs> miss out on Women Talking. Yeah,
0: thank you. No, keep no keep it up. Yeah, keep it up though. Yeah, but no, it just it just it just shows that like like this is the reason why you're if you're gonna do ten. This is why you should do it. Yeah. It's because of this. Like you're able to, you're not just showing your Oscar bait BS movies cuz that's that's part of the reason why everyone was slamming The Reader as still getting in for the best picture nomination was because there were other choices out there. You could have chosen Wally, you could have chosen The Dark Knight and they they decided to go with an Oscar bait kind of movie with The Reader and ever ever since then they expanded the lineup to 10 nominees and like, "Okay, now we have no excuse." To just go for the Oscar nominated, you know, Oscar awards buzzed, you know, favorite kind of movies that we typically like, we can actually go for something different. We can go for the blockbusters. We can go for uh, even smaller movies that can get more attention. You know, Winter's Bone. I wouldn't even known Winter's Bone even existed if it it didn't get that, uh, uh, you know, best picture nomination. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I wonder even something like Women Talking, I wonder if that still would have won the adapted screenplay category. If it didn't get the best picture nomination? Like would they have just given it to All Quiet of the Western Front?
1: Women Talking you know? was almost a lone screenplay nominee. But if it thought has yeah, exactly. like the, the 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 locked ten. Um I yeah. think you know your point is fair on the Wall E the Dark Knight point, even though The Reader is my pick from that lineup, from that lineup of five. (laughs) Um, And I think the solid 10 makes it more, you know, like, look at 2009. You have something as small as A Serious Man or precious and then you have something as ridiculous as the blinds are getting in but it speaks to the taste of the academy at the time i mean whether you like it or not that's it it showed the variety that they had and it's just also weird that they rolled back to a, a weird compromise of the sliding scale after 2010 when 2010 was like the perfect Reason why we did an expanded ballot. You have Winter's Bone on one end, which is a for me a fantastic indie from one of the most uh, powerful voices in indie cinema, who is uh, Deborah Granik, to something like Toy Story mm. Three, which is a yeah. billion dollar uh, animated feature, and everything that's in there. You have the more challenging, quote, unquote, the challenging films like Black Swan, to so the more traditional. Things like the King's speech, all are in the spectrum of good for me. But it showed in the types yeah. of films, for example, you have Inception, which is like four layers of dreams, to the kids are all right, a lesbian family and a sperm donor who is coming into their lives. How mm. diverse can you get? More can you how more diverse can you get? And then they went back to sliding scale, which is this weird compromise. And I think that weird compromise. Is compromised has compromised Best Picture because it kind of yeah. is like it's the five, but with more numbers. So the principles of the five slate nominees, the the usual suspects, that's what you got with the with the sliding scale. But just because there's room for more, you know what I'm saying? So when you go back to to yeah, no, I do. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very weird compromise that. They didn't help and I'm glad that they rolled it back to a solid 10 I think it's I think it's stupid when you when someone says that it loses the prestige like no if you have 300 plus films you gotta have at least 10 great films there it's just a matter of like if the Academy is up for it or not it's not it's not the yeah. year in films fault it's the Academy's fault then at this point um, yeah yeah it's just unfortunate that they, that they went back to Soliton in 2021, which I thought was like a ah, year, meh. But again, even if I think it's meh, it shows what they liked at the time. Mm. And just think, you know, yeah, people just gotta... A five doesn't make it cheap. at ten, Soliton doesn't make it cheap. They're, they're, you, it's impossible yeah. to find not find ten great films in a year. I'm just saying.
0: Well, and the other, the funny thing about you brought up a serious man, they managed to also squeeze in the Coen brothers again in 2010 for best picture, Yeah, Lit, uh, which I just find relief. so funny, I, but yeah. And I, I have to admit, I, as someone who rewatched uh true grit, the, the remake, I think it was last summer. Mm-hmm. I rewatched it with my uh, grandma and it, it made me really appreciate it more on a rewatch because I, I now understand why the Coen brothers got that director nomination outside of, oh, the director's branch really loved the Coen brothers. It is it is a really solid movie, yeah. and it's very well directed from them. Yeah. Um. This is so, fun. yeah, I, I got to I gotta say I'm really glad that they did that. Yeah,
1: this is the kind of year um, when all of the 10 Best Picture nominees, I could say something good about them.
0: Yeah, I, I could too, actually. Even The King's Speech, which wouldn't have been my personal vote for Best Picture, I actually enjoy it. It's a lot it has a lot more style and a lot more, it, it, it feels like one of the better Oscar Beatty bullshit movies that we get from the Academy. Like it's a lot better made for one. And on top of that, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like a green book situation where it's like, Oh, the acting's great, but the, or the acting's good. And that's about it. Matt? Whereas like, no, there's actually like, there's good directing. There's good technical work involved. um, A good score by Alexander Desplat, you know, things like that. So yeah,
1: Matt, I prefer The King's Speech over The Social Network.
0: And you know what? That's okay. Because (laughs) to be honest, uh, while I I really love Social Network, Social Network Mm -hmm. is not my go-to film for Best Picture that year. I probably would have given Christopher Nolan his Oscar for Best Picture and um, Screenplay that year. But, you know. Yeah, I think think
1: for me, my pick is still Inception, but it's going to be number one, Inception, two, Black Swan, three, Winter's Bone something like that oh yeah
0: black and yeah black yeah black swan's a really great movie i I watched that finally last summer and i'm like yeah this is a really good movie and i can see why a lot of people like it a lot um yeah so that was a a fun discussion uh got a little sidetrack there but that's what happens when you do these kind of shows so once again i want to thank you Juan, for dedicating your time being here on the show before we sign off is there anything you'd like to plug in or where you'd like our listeners to follow you after the episode is done
1: well, Matt, thank you, first of all, for um, making sure that I am in this show. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I just want to say, oh, I've said this before, but I want your listeners to also know that um, you have been one of the people that helped me decide to start my own podcast way back in 2020. Um, so that was a great moment. And then when you were finally talking to me about starting this, I'm like, go for it. <laughs> like, look at me. I, I've done 100 episodes and I'm still here. Um... I also just want to thank you for the opportunity of rewatch of giving me a reason to rewatch another year. Um, I cried a lot last night <laughs> watching it. Oh, nice! Yeah. and uh, in in a good way. Someone had to. Yeah. in a, in a good way, in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you can find me on Twitter at Carlos Ohano. on Instagram at one Carlos Ojano. You could probably see me either tweeting about politics or theater or men and there's nothing else to do about it. It's just the way it goes. Um, I ha- Again, like I said, I have uh, an upcoming experimental documentary short. Uh, let's see where it goes, but I am excited to share to the world. Uh, it's about my country. It's about a collective experience of millions of Filipinos that have gained and lost hope in 2022 and i can't wait to share it in the world um i am just uh very productive right now so i am either gonna be a filmmaker or a film critic or a theater actor i don't know what you're gonna get every day but i'm here all day all day long so yeah you can just find me on twitter and instagram and um, let's chat 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 thank you to matt for having me in this episode
0: You're welcome to anyone listening out there on the episode. You can follow me and the show through Linktree under at Matthew 995, where you can follow along on all my social media accounts, such as Twitter and Letterboxd. On the same site, I've also provided a link for where you can listen to more episodes of the show. If you're interested in being in the hot seat like Juan has here today, let me know, and hopefully we can arrange that happening in the future. In the meantime, we hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope to see you at the movies. Take care, guys.